Tuesday, June 22nd. That is what you call some energy out of the gate. People say, you know, Chuck, how do you get your podcast to be in the top 200 of sports recreation up there with gun talk? I know it's been about three, four years, but I say you got to have energy right out of the gate. And that, my friends, is some palpable energy here in the studio today. Joining me, it's Studio 8 in Pacifica, California, the beautiful, my fiance, Kylan Mills, <laughs> making her debut. How are we? Doing fantastic. It only took you four years. Are you doing fantastic? I, I, well, I just witnessed you that little episode of Tourette's, first of all. So that was a little bit frightening. Second of all, I ate an expired protein bar today. Honestly, I've been sick all afternoon, all night. I had gas at work. Sorry to my producer, Nick, who sits next to me. I never addressed it. I just... Silent again? (laughs) It was was silent, maybe deadly, but I sprinted out of work. So uh, here's the thing: how my day went. You blame it on the protein bar. It wasn't the the protein bar that went bad two weeks ago. My pops is literally in the vending industry. I can promise you 1,000% that you can eat those protein bars. You can eat bags of chips. You can drink sodas, whatever. Six, eight, ten months after the expiration date, it's fine. So something so else is going on. So then why do they on. have an expiration date? I stumped you. No, I, I actually know the answer to this. Coffee Bob was telling me the <laughs> other day. It's just, it, it has to do with... Coffee Bob it has be... To, it has to do with the production, you know? They're, ashamed. If they never expire, then you won't buy any more. It's as simple as that. Supply and demand. So it's all a sham. You're telling me Life expiration, is a sham. You expiration me? dates are all a sham. That's what you're telling me. Not all of them. I mean, I wouldn't eat a egg egg salad sandwich five days after it expired, but a bag of chips, no, you're good. You're not going to start tasting any sort of lack of freshness until about six months after. All right, changing gears. I just went to In-N-Out Burger for dinner. I've been a hater on In-N-Out Burger for quite some time. People out on the West Coast love it, but I'm starting to come around to it. Um, Let me tell you what. In-N-Out Burger, the production there is incredible. You walk into an In-N-Out Burger, they essentially have like a bench in their store where there's people waiting in case, you know, someone gets grease in their eye. They're like, Johnny, we need you off the bench. <laughs> Head of the deep fryer. It's incredible. There's like 16 people working in there at once. And it's not your typical fast food joint where you sometimes get people that just lack the intangibles. These are five-star recruits in the fast food industry. They're polite, concise, precise. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of a diehard In-N-Out fan now. And I got blasted when I first moved out here saying that uh, I'd rather have steak and shake. Yeah, Charlie sent me a picture yesterday of... Literally like eight dudes lined up at like 11 p.m. on a Sunday. What were they even doing? They weren't even in front of fryers. Like, I don't know what they have this army in there doing, but there's something strange going on in and out. They wear their uniforms. They have the matching hats on. They Yeah, just, they all the hats. They do it the right way. And I've wondered for the longest time why people on the West Coast love it so much. It's because it's, it's just quality. You walk in there and you see that. You're like, these people honestly are putting a lot of love and care into my burgers. Protein-style burgers, nice, too. Got to tell you, Kylan, um, been doing the boxing lately. 
to your chagrin, right? I go to the gym. I'm rolling my eyes. Yeah. And I and I hit the bag and I have a trainer you got now. Swindled into paying a man a hundred dollars a session. When I'm literally a personal trainer. When you trainer. are a personal trainer. <laughs> I get swindled a That's lot. Back being swindled. Back in the day before I realized that diet was everything, when it came to exercise, I'd get swindled by the devices that they'd sell. First it was the perfect push ups, your biceps, your triceps, your chest and abs. So I'd buy that. I wouldn't get my six pack like I wanted, so I'd buy the perfect pull up, and then I'd buy the perfect sit up. I think the and then P ninety X. I have P ninety X one, two, three. Um, I mean, at this point, I'm Tony Horton's biggest customer. So yeah, I get swindled quite a bit. Anyways, they got me on this diet for apparently they think I'm training to become like a professional boxer. In reality, I just want to shed like one percent body fat. So they had me on this professional diet where I'm counting my macros. Lasted like a day and a half. Anyways, I tried it the first day. They want me to hit 300 grams of protein, 250 grams of carbs, and 50 grams of fat. How is that possible? What? Think about that. 300 grams of protein and only 50 grams of fat. What are you supposed to eat all day? Just literally protein shakes and cans of tuna? I'm just telling you, the average person has no clue how many grams. Like, I have no idea what 300 grams of protein even looks like. So you keep telling me about this and expecting me to be, like, shocked or amazed. And I have no clue how many macros are in any of my meals. Let's put it this way. You could eat six ounces of chicken breast, six ounces of steak, two 40-gram protein shakes... Let's throw in six more ounces of chicken. Let's throw in six ounces of salmon, and you're still like 100 grams away. That's a lot of food to be eating in a day. That's a lot of money to be spending okay, on well, food. Okay, well, now you're wondering This guy why... thinks I'm, you know, he thinks I'm going in there and I'm ready to compete. In reality, and I told him straight up, like, you got to cut those macros in half, bud. I'm not trying to be a bodybuilder here, but this is like a circle of life thing for me. Every year I have these little periods where I try to get in better shape. It's more so about the challenge than it actually is the end result. So I go from my routine, which is most of the year, where I just stay inactive, working out, living life, and then all of a sudden I decide I'm going to follow a legitimate program. It's like every, you know, it's quarterly. It's quarterly thing. It's like, all right, it's that time of the year again. I map out everything on a calendar, you know, start my meal prep, line up the macros that I need, the exercises, just like a 30-day one month reset, like, all right, I'm going to do this, whatever. It's February. It's a terrible month anyways. Um, I'm going to watch some college basketball, and I'm going to follow this thing to a T. And I've been trying this once, maybe even multiple times a year since I was legit like 19 years old, and I just cannot do it. 30 days. I Hell, I can't even go a week, honestly. And I'm not talking about the macro portion of this. I'm just talking like a week of clean eating. A week of no pizza, potato chips, soda, whatever it may be, alcohol. Yeah, that's not happening. Like, not one week of my life have I had, as Barney Stinson would say, the perfect week in terms of diet ever. Maybe ever in my life. And, and definitely not in the last 10 years when I've been independent. I have no issue with the working out part. I think five, six times a week easy but the diet it's impossible and I guess that's why I keep trying because I want to know I can do it I just want to I want to do it once and be like there I did it 30 days you could do anything you set your mind to a man named snacky can get off the train 
and go clean for 30 days. But the diet's impossible. I'm going to be like 75 years old, saggy pecs and all, pointing at myself in the mirror. This is it. Summer of 62. 2062, Walter. Big year. What do you say you get it done this time? Going to be like four days in. Clean diet. Beef jerky is the worst thing I had. One of my buddies is going to call me up and be like, Hey! Want to go to Red Lobster? Get some cheddar biscuits? Oh, hell yes. There. That's how it ends. The cleanse is just a mirage. It's not going to happen. I see it in the distance. I continue to try it, and I just need to give it up. It's done. Got to keep buying those tubs of spinach, and they're never going to be eaten. One salad. That's it. It's kind of sad, really, that I care this much. (laughs) Still, Charlie... You're eating like you're trying to be a bodybuilder, and then you're wondering why you're ripping out of all of your suits and your shirts. Hey, don't you say that. I look good. Every day you complain about how your clothes don't fit. I don't care, but I'm just saying. You complain about how your clothes don't fit, and you were eating for like three people. I don't care if it's protein or macro-friendly. Like... If you're trying to eat to slim down, you can't just eat like unlimited. Well, that's not what my dietitian told me. Okay, well, I'm he just said saying. I gotta just stay you're under my macros and I'm good. Bulking, I just I think that's wrong, but whatever. Calorie deficit, you have to be in a calorie deficit if you want to slim down. Well, you can hit a lot of those macros and still have like a sub twenty three hundred calorie diet. I mean, there's not that many calories in chicken or sweet potatoes. Or the problem is, is you eat that 50, 60% of the day, you put in all this work, and then one meal late at night, I'm feeling a cheeseburger. I want to go see my 16 buddies working at the orchestra known as in and out And next thing you know, ruined. You know what else, Charlie? Today was a weird day because just last week, I think on Thursday or Friday, we were allowed to stop wearing masks at work. And in California, to clarify, yes, we live in California. State restrictions were lifted on the 15th, but then, like, my work was waiting for more specific, like, city, county approval, whatever. So, like, just late last week, we were allowed to stop wearing masks if you, like, filled out some safety form. I don't know, whatever. Uh, but today was the first day, my first day in the office with like more people in there, and everyone's not wearing masks. And it's been so weird because these people I've worked with for eight months, I haven't seen anyone's faces. Like one of our assignment editors came up to my desk and was asking me to do some and you story. And like, ah! <laughs> what the hell is on your face? I'm serious. So I was literally just like realized that I was staring at her teeth for a minute because I had never seen this woman's teeth or mouth. Does she listen to the show? Uh, I mean, I don't know if she does. Bonnie, you have a beautiful smile if you're out there listening. I'm not saying it looked bad, but it's just like a weird experience when you just Bonnie, know Bonnie, your people. teeth look like corn. <laughs> uh, what? Don't you slander Bonnie. She's a nice lady. Uh, but it's just bizarre when you only know people from their eyes. Like literally nine months I've been working yeah. and there have been people I've never seen with their masks off and I've had long conversations with them. No, that was, um, so I'm going back in the archives right now. When I first moved out to California, Kylan got a great job, sports reporter and anchor at Cron 4. 
my contract was up in Lexington. I still had the red stuff to do the next summer. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a gamble. I don't want to live in Lexington anymore. The West Coast sounds pretty chill. I'm going to move out there. So I moved out here. I didn't have anything lined up. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll get unemployment. Unemployment denied me. So I was like, okay, instead of <laughs> fighting this, you know, it's probably easier to just go get a damn job. Two doors down from us, we had a dick. So I was like, I'm going to swallow my pride, and I'm going to sell some shoes at Dick's. I walked in there. They checked out my resume. They're like, well, you're hired, dude. Like, you, you got a college degree, and everyone we have is in high school. That alone makes you pretty qualified for this job. So I start doing that, and I'm talking to these people the entire time that I'm selling shoes, which is like maybe a month. It was just over the holiday period. It was a nice little side gig you know i do it from 7 a.m to noon and then run off and have two personal training classes to teach uh what i found out very quickly is even with multiple jobs if they're not high paying jobs it's uh tough to live out in san francisco but anyways i did that for a minute it was a nice learning experience sales are fun man sales are fun that's what i learned from that and one day one of the dudes walking out takes off his mask and i look at him and he was a completely different human being I didn't even recognize him. In a good or bad way? In a good way. He was a handsome guy, you know? And when he <laughs> had that when he had that mask on, I looked at him, I'm like, oh, this guy's a chump. And he took that mask off, and I'm like, where you been hiding, Brendan? Where you been hiding, my guy? <laughs> it is such a strange experience. I feel like so many people now, you just look at totally differently. Because there is such a thing as I feel like being mask handsome yeah. or mask ugly. Like some people, you really need the bottom half of their face for them to be good looking. And some people I feel like can trick you with only the top half of their face into thinking they're good looking. Some people have a six foot jaw. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, I want to change the topic real quick because we've been having some animal issues the last few weeks. It's gotten pretty bad. It's actually been going on for months. It started... About three months ago when we left the garage door open in Pacifica and we heard some nibbling out in the garage and opened the door and two feet away from us, a raccoon is just staring at us right in the eyes. That same raccoon's been in our garbage can a couple times. Um, it's been pretty petrifying. I don't, think, I don't think you're telling the story correctly. I thought that first you saw it by the side of the house before it went in the garage or was that a different time? I think that was a different time. Well, one day Charlie walked out our door and our... Like main front door is kind of on the side of our house and our garbage cans were like right next to it. And I just hear a blood curdling scream, scream. And you know, he, comes have running, he comes running back in the house, slams the door. Oh my God, there's a raccoon in our garbage. I thought that someone was chasing him with the hatchet. Like that, the raccoon rabies. That's worse than a some hatchet. raccoon, some fat Sorry, raccoon. Gary Paulson. Some fat raccoons just sitting in our garbage, like barely waddling around, just staring at him. Charlie's screaming, had a full-blown meltdown. And then, and then, it was a few weeks later, I think you're right, that it got in our garage. Yeah, it got in our garage. Um, I'm over the raccoon because we've had an experience with an animal that is 10 times worse. That would be a skunk. We were walking down the street about a week ago, and Cuba, our big 85... He's bigger than that. 90 pounds. 90 pound. um, We just got the DNA test. What the hell is he? A Weimerheiner. 
No, I he's think, not. Yes, he, he is. That's what it said. I don't I, even know how to actually say the dog, but Weimer. I think he's a retriever, a Chesapeake Bay he's retriever. He's got to be a retriever, yeah. We, got, we also got scammed with the test, but that's the DNA test. But that's Yeah, and you want to buy another one? Like, those things are a scam okay, you in got, general. They you don't, got the one that had the know. worst reviews out break. of all of them, but... Just continue. Walking down the street, I got Cuba in my hand. I'm texting on the other hand, whatever. Yeah, never paying attention. I'm walking as well. With all of a sudden, Cuba. Dog, Benny. All of a sudden, Cuba darts after what I presume is a cat because there's cats everywhere in this neighborhood. There were cats everywhere in the neighborhood we lived in in Lexington. I guess everyone just keeps outdoor cats running around. I don't get me started on cats, Kylan. I will. Don't get me started on cats. I'll we lose had my a job. cat problem in Lexington too. That's the thing. Is that just like the world we live in? That there was just cats roaming in every neighborhood. Because I never grew up in a neighborhood like that. But there are cats everywhere. Are they feral? Are they I pets? Cats. I don't know. There was this cat named Gibby that lived with me down <laughs> in Knoxville for six months, <laughs> and ruined a friendship with the guy that I lived with. Uh, the, the dude, <laughs> I don't even. First of all, why were you friends with a man who had a cat named Gibby? (laughs) Um, That's a good question. He worked for the Smokies, and I went down there to do the broadcasting, and he was like the the scoreboard operations guy or whatever. And since you're only going down there for, you know, one-year deal, basically, and you don't know if you're going to go back the next year, you're roommate up. So he worked with the team. So I went down with him, and this cat would piss on my bed every single day. I'd go to the <laughs> kitchen to grab like some Cheez-Its and come back, and this cat would just piss and run. And I'd be like, dude, Drew, get Gibby out of my freaking room. Like, And he would spray him with this little spray bottle. I'd be like, bad Gibby, bad Gibby, you know? <laughs> and I'd be like, dude, are you serious? Like, do something about this. So was Gibby litter box trained, and it just chose yes, to pee in your bed? it hated me. It, it had this weird look in his eye whenever it saw me, and it wanted me to move out, and I did. Eventually, I broke the lease a few months early. I said, Drew, you could pay for the rest of rent. Gibby wants me out. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm gone. This place is worse than Eddie Murphy's Haunted Mansion. I also lived with a cat. The cat's name was Will Smith. Uh, I will say that I agreed to adopting Will Smith with with my good friend Ashley Richmond. We same thing, roommate it up in one of my first jobs in the Quad Cities. And the problem was one of our coworkers, the sports director at our station, actually, his cat had kittens, like on accident, whatever. Uh, and he's trying to give away these kittens. And he's like, you guys need a kitten. Please take this kitten. So we're like, all right, yeah, we'll take the kitten. First day we get it home, it is the spawn of Satan. The spawn of Satan. Like just knocking things over. We'd jump up on a counter and just knock everything off it on purpose. Did it piss on your bed? Uh, No. It then never, Gibby's worse. No, it never peed anywhere. But like it, would, it was the kind of cat that like you'd be laying in bed and all of a sudden out of nowhere it would just pounce on your head and like lay its claws into your head, in your skull. Like, we have multiple videos, pictures of it just attacking people. Like, straight up attacking people. And this is since it was a kitten. Like, it just, for no reason, would just attack people. So anyways, we're like, this cat's a nightmare. We got to get rid of it. But the problem is, every week, our sports director's like, hey, how's Will Smith? Let me see some pics. He's like, what's going on? How's the little cuddle bug? And we're like, ah, yeah, he's great. Uh, so he ended up, Will Smith ended up continuing on and moving with Ashley to Florida um blowing up the cat now weighs like 40 pounds i'm serious the biggest cat i've ever seen like this frisky whiskers 
Yeah. And like, seriously, our old sports director would still be like asking about how he's doing. And eventually she gave, she gave him away. It's she been gave dead him away. for like three years. <laughs> oh, he's great. Will's great. Can I see a picture? Ah, he's running around the neighborhood right now. I don't That's know. That's what I'm saying. We had to keep up the charade that we like love yeah. this cat. We're like posting on Facebook. Like, look at Will Smith. Ha ha ha. Like he just shredded our bedding. Like we were just like keeping up the charade that we love the cat. So she finally gave it away to a coworker in Florida and legit. Now her coworker loves Will Smith. We'll post pictures of like, scratches all over her arms and be like will just loves to play i'm like i don't know why anyone would ever want a cat i will never have a cat again in my life um and i think ashley now takes the photos that this girl sends her or posts and sends them to our old sports director he probably thinks that she still has this cat moral of the story if you're a cat person you kind of suck um <laughs> in short 100 percent. and i'll and i'll give you an opportunity to come on the the podcast and rebuttal reasons why cats are actually better than dogs. Um, but I've just had terrible experiences with cats from day one. Anyways, this is like a, how I met your mother episode, just skipping from one story to the next. We were talking about skunks. So all of a sudden Cuba bolts out of my hand for this, what I thought was a cat, but it ended up being a skunk. And I knew this because Cuba got within about three feet of this skunk. Normally, would have grabbed him, but instead, if, if this was a cat, rather, he would have grabbed him, but instead, he went down, just absolutely paralyzed, and I was like, oh no, it was the stench, wasn't it? It was the spray, and yes, it got him. Cuba started rolling around, watery eyes started stinking. It was a horrible night, Kylan. Horrible would be an understatement. First of all, I don't understand why you would let go of the leash. Like our dog, he is a high prey drive. Kuba does. So whenever he sees cats, small animals, he's the type that like he'll be fine. And then all of a sudden he'll go off. I didn't let go of the leash on purpose. He pulled it out of my hand. Uh, Okay. Well, anyways, our big, strong uh, bodybuilder over here claims that he couldn't hold on to the leash. I'm not getting enough protein in my diet. I'm supposed to be getting 300 grams. I'm only getting 180. <laughs> That's what you get. Exactly. If you're not eating all 300 grams of protein. So first of all, I'm like, why? He's You've never let go of his leash before. And this is the one time you just let go. Kuba sprints after this small animal, gets skunked, sprays him in the face. He's rolling around. But what makes the situation worse is just like with the raccoon, which we really skated over that situation, is that Charlie starts freaking out, screaming, running, panicking, hands in the air. Oh, panicking. what do we do? I was like Ricky what Bobby. What do we do? I was yes. like Ricky Bobby after the crash when he's on fire, just running around the neighborhood like, ah, <laughs> he stinks. He smells like ass, Kyla. What do we do? I mean, it is nerve-wracking stuff when your dog gets sprayed by a skunk at 1 o'clock in the morning. It wasn't 1 o'clock in the morning. It was like it 11. It, it was didn't like 11. end up being that bad. We no, made a concoction. We you, washed him. It took like two hours. You made it to Safeway. He smelled like a skunk for the next four months. You, it, but whatever. It wasn't 1 in the morning. You went to Safeway. We still had time to go to Safeway and buy hydrogen peroxide, which was huge. But still, Charlie's running around the street like Ricky Bobby the dogs rolling around on the ground I'm just like somebody please get I was their just lives stunned Kylan I was stunned how quickly he went down I mean he was inches away from this skunk and just to 
interlude another story. He caught a mole yesterday. Cuba did. So he's good with his mouth. He's good. Like you said, he, he catches his prey. He's a hunter. Yeah. Yeah, he and he was inches away from this skunk. And the skunk must have let out the spray. And he went down. It was down goes Frazier. I mean, he, bam, just hit the ground. Started rolling around right away. And that's when I knew. I was like, I don't think that was a cat, Kylan. I think that was a... So after Charlie's running around the street screaming, I pick up Kuba's leash. We got Benny. Luckily, we were right around the corner from our house. We go in our house. Charlie's screaming still. He's like, don't let him in the house. Don't let him in the well, house. Well, you were getting ready to bring him inside. I was like, what, what are you thinking? No, he's not coming inside. You're like, well, we, it's cold outside. I'm, I don't care. He's not coming in here. Charlie runs to Safeway. I'm sitting outside. He's trying to find whatever ingredients. What was it, by the way? Uh, hydrogen peroxide. Yeah, hydrogen peroxide, some type of dish soap. Anyways, I'm sitting out back in our yard, just me and Stinky. He's like rolling on me, hugging me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to smell like a skunk now for the next four years. Benny doesn't know what's going on. He's whining. He's barking. He wants to play. I'm just sitting in the backyard. It's freezing out, and it smells like skunk so finally charlie gets back we make this concoction but our hose is like freezing cold so i'm like we can't bathe this dog in ice cold water it was a cold night that night wasn't it it was like 50 degrees here's the thing about san francisco and pacifica that most people don't realize it's beautiful every single you don't get a summer and you don't get a winter it's just spring slash fall weather in the midwest year round yeah like it's Highs of, you know, 74 with California sun that's really hot. But, you know, you usually get like a, a nice day is 66, 68 degrees with really hot California sun. But then every single day when the sun goes down, you get 52, 53. It never gets below 50 for the most part. But, you know, you'll get 50 degree nights, which is cold with that wind whipping yeah. up Yeah, oh, it's cold. So I'm freaking out. I'm like, we can't hose him off and the, our hose is freezing. So I go in to make the concoction in like a bucket. I bring it out. I'm bringing out dog towels, the crappiest towels we have. Charlie starts washing him. Then we got to rinse him off. We got to rinse off his face. He is, you know, skunk spray, whatever it is in his eyes. He's got soap all over him. He's he runs inside and starts laying on the bed. I'm just like, oh, I'm screaming. I'm like, this is a disaster. <laughs> Charlie's screaming. I have like bowls and buckets and I'm going back and forth to like our bathtub and back outside, filling them with warm water. We're dumping them on Cuba. It was like an hour long disaster. He still smelled. He did sneak in one for a few moments one time. He stunk up our entire bedroom. It was a nightmare. It was. And we had seen this skunk roaming around the neighborhood, riding dirty for the last two, three months. And I literally said to you, I was like, if that skunk ever gets one of our dogs, I am leaving them on the side of the road and I will call the shelter and make sure that they have. No, I mean, it, it was not as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it was still a horrible, horrible Thursday night. And now we have a coyote running around on our street too. I'm like, what the hell is going on in California? Clean up the streets. I'm like, Charlie, I don't know where you grew up, but like everywhere that I've ever lived, there are raccoons, It wasn't a gated skunks, neighborhood. Coyotes. Okay, you know what? Gates don't keep out wildlife like regular wildlife like it they just live in in neighborhoods now i mean we're encroaching on their territory they're everywhere when growing up our dog got skunked i remember it was a nightmare growing up we had a raccoon get in our attic it felt you want to hear a horror story charlie a raccoon got in our attic growing up 
And one day in my closet, in my bedroom, there was a hatch that like went up to the attic, but it was a pull down type of hatch. And this raccoon apparently was standing on top of it, falls through. And this was maybe like 10 or 11 o'clock on like a Wednesday night in my bedroom. I'm like seven, my sister's five. Um, my mom was out of town for some reason. It's just me, my sister, and my dad. And there's a raccoon running through the house. And we have a dog at the time. The dog starts freaking out. The raccoon runs into my parents' room, runs under the bed, and is like cornered under the bed by the dog. Did it pull a gibby? <laughs> no, it didn't climb on the bed. It didn't pee on the bed. It didn't pee anywhere in the bedroom, at least as far as we know. Uh, but anyways, just basically a huge nightmare. We start screaming. We're crying. My dad's like, oh, my God, there's a raccoon in the house. I've got two screaming, crying young girls like at 11 o'clock on a Wednesday. The dog's freaking out. Uh, we ended up having to go across the street to the neighbors. My dad calls the police. Well, animal control isn't open at that time of the night. The police come. My dad loves telling the story. The first officer's terrified. He goes, I'm going to shoot it. Get me a shower curtain. My dad's like, no, you're not about to shoot a raccoon in front of my seven and five-year-old daughter in my bedroom. Like, are you serious? Uh, so then they have to call back up. At that point, so me and my sister had to go across the street to the neighbors. What they ended up doing, and this is honestly hilarious, I wish cell phones were around so they could have gotten this on video they made a pathway from the door to my parents bedroom using couch cushions chairs junk anything they could find and they like lined it down the hallway to the back door from the door of the bedroom to like wherever our door was in the house it's all it was one story so basically if you open the door it could only go one way like stuff was just piled up so they made a tunnel and used brooms to sweep like to I don't even know how they did it to basically sweep this raccoon out from under the bed and to force it through this tunnel and out the back door. And shockingly it worked, but it was like a three hour production and the most ridiculous thing in my entire life. All right. Well, switching subjects now that I am joining Charlie on the show, we want to talk a little bit about just our careers in broadcasting. I mean, it's pretty unique. We both work in the field and have done fairly well for ourselves. I am now in San Francisco working for a local news station as a sports reporter and anchor uh, for those listeners who don't know at Cron 4 News. Charlie is working for Fox Sports Ohio during the baseball season. He's Bally. Also, Bally. Oh, oh, sorry. Sorry. I actually completely always forget about that. Fair enough. Um, and also you work at CBS Sacramento when you can. So we have kind of an interesting career path, Charlie, and we both often forget just how unique what we do is. And I know whenever I talk to people, I get so many questions. You know, until we were playing kickball the other night and I told people what I did and they were like uh, astonished and like, that's so cool. And asking all these questions, I just kind of assumed that, you know, no one really cared. So I never really brought it up on this podcast stories from the past. I mean, like, you got to realize I've been doing this long before it was sexy. You know, when I was doing it in college, all my buddies were laughing as I was covering high school girls basketball in southeast Ohio, calling 14-year-olds diaper dandies and learning my lesson that that uh, probably isn't the greatest catchphrase in that regard. Uh, shout out Connor Morgan. He loved that one. He was like, dude, you just called Cheyenne Singer a diaper dandy. Um, but I've been doing it for so long that now that you're doing it on a bigger stage and you're covering professional athletes and all this stuff. And I'm interviewing Steve Harvey or whoever it may be. I just, 
you know, go through the same process that I did back then. So you don't really stop and it never really hits you is what I'm going to say. It's hit me a few times doing those Reds postgame shows when there's like 200 people around you and you got little eight-year-olds asking to sign a ball for them. You're like, all right, this is pretty cool. But I mean, for the most part, when you're in a television studio, you just kind of assume that no one's watching. You know, you're doing your job. And that was an issue in my first market in Alabama is it got to the point like three, four months in because you're not hearing from any viewers ever. As you... Move up the stage, you definitely do. Like for the Reds, I do a lot. And in Lexington, I heard from viewers a little bit. But in my first job, there was no one watching these these shows. There was one time, I swear, I ran the same football package two weeks in a row. They wanted a new one every week. And I was just like, I, I'm going to go ahead and bet the bluff of my boss not even watching this show. And just turn in the same exact package as last week. And I think they caught me, honestly. It was a, it was a learning experience. Someone's always watching, and someone always cares. Even if it's just the person signing your paycheck. Yeah, but I think it is interesting. I mean, I get the same thing where people are like, wait, you're on TV? Wait, you're on air? Wait, this? And then, of course, the cascade of questions come. And it's always... So do you do your own hair and makeup? That's the first question I get as a woman every time. I'm sure you get something different. Oh, I get a lot of things. Um, There are some wild people out there. Some viewers just think that I'm not a real human being, I guess, and don't read anything they say. There's one guy that hopped in my DM, like completely normal dude. He had a family and everything, and he asked if I could send him a pair of my dirty underwear. Said he'd send me 100 bucks. honestly. I missed out. I mean, I was working at Dick's trying to make some money. I could have just been doing that. Um, But I I got some stories like that that we could go on and on about. Imagine telling your mom that. What are you doing for cash nowadays, Charlie? Oh, I have a used underwear store with uh, viewers. Uh, But that's a good uh, topic, though, Charlie. Tell me a little bit about or tell the listeners about how you got your start on TV. Here's the thing. There's no set path on how you navigate this industry. The only common denominator is everyone has a tape. Everyone that wants to be on air has to start compiling a reel, montage, whatever you want to call it. Basically, if you're an athlete, you create your huddle tape. Or if you're good enough, someone creates one for you. It's kind of the same way in this industry because eventually, if you're good enough, an agent creates it for you. But you start off creating your own. And that tape is essentially your resume. Like the paper resume is a quick, all right, this person's qualified or not qualified for the job. And then the tapes, let's see if we like them. That's where that comes into play. And obviously that's all relative. It's subjective. Now there's a bunch of different routes you can take in this industry. And no two paths are the same. I mean, zero. Uh... Let's look at some. Tony Reale was a behind-the-scenes stat guy for PTI. He gained notoriety that way and now obviously hosts some shows and is a name. Gus Johnson started out in local TV, transitioned to calling some games, climbed the ladder from there. Dan Lebetard was a Miami newspaper writer. Feinbaum was a columnist in Birmingham until he got his big break in like his 40s. Meanwhile, a guy like Joe Davis went from calling a few seasons of Double uh, A baseball for the Montgomery Biscuits to ESPN, and then a few years later, he's at 
the LA Dodgers by 30. You sometimes are discouraged by the speed of your progress. Then you remember that Tom Rinaldi was, you know, a middle school gym teacher at 26. So everyone has a different path, but everyone who ends up having a path in this industry started with a tape of some sort. So the path that I took was local TV, and I was out of my mind way back then. Like, I was applying to jobs in Charlotte and Cleveland out of school. Now, keep in mind, I had just been named a second-team All-American, uh, the best collegiate sportscaster from Ohio, and I thought that meant something. There were a few professional broadcasters on the panel. I think Chuck Swirsky, like the voice of the Bulls, and a few other people. Jim Nance was on the panel. So um, I thought that meant something. I was like, oh, this is sweet. I'm going to skip that first step small market job, and I'm going to apply to some of these jobs that ask for three, four years of experience, and I'm going to say that I had three, four years of experience at a PBS affiliate in Athens, Ohio, that maybe five people were watching. But in reality, my work was terrible. Like back then, if my teleprompter fizzled out on me, even if I knew what I was talking about, back then there were just so many nuances that I needed that thing as like a backup brain. Like if I knew there was no prompter, then I could just ad lib and talk and had some notes in front of me. That was fine. But if I had a prompter, relied on it, and it went out, even into my first job, I was toast. And it rarely ever did. Uh, it got me maybe once or twice. Down the road, Kyle, and I'm sure we'll have some uh, stories of our worst experiences on air. So I'm applying to all these jobs, and about one month after graduation, I hear back from a station in beautiful Albany, Georgia. They were interested. I do an interview with them. It uh, ends up not working out. Called them back. Asked what I could do to better myself for the next opportunity and why they went elsewhere with the hire. They told me, yada, yada. They also told a news director who was looking for talent down in Dothan, Alabama. They told them that they liked my initiative. And they should take a look at me. So, bam, two days later, I have the Dothan, Alabama job, a sports news hybrid. If I did that job today, it would be the easiest job in the United States. I mean, seriously. But back then, it was rocket science. They trained me for like three days in Montgomery. I was not ready at all coming out of OU with my arsenal of C's. C, some C pluses. But they trained me for three days in Montgomery, sent me down to Dothan with a laptop, tripod, and camera, nothing else. No newsroom, no mentor, just me on an island. And if I had that job, I would have just gone to Troy, which was like 45 minutes away from Dothan. Troy, Alabama, the Trojans, they're Division One, up in the Sun Belt. I would have gone there probably once a week, set up five interviews with five different sports teams, coaches, players, whatever, and then just had content all week. Just turned stories. Could have done them all in one day and worked one day a week, one like 15-hour day. Instead, I woke up every day not knowing what to do, which meant a lot of times, you know, at noon when I'm like, hey, uh, there's nothing today. You know, it's summertime in Dothan, Alabama. It's, it's too damn hot, Benny. We can't play baseball. You know, I'm not going to the pool and getting people doing flips off the diving board, doing some gainers. Uh, that's not the type of news I was showing, so... So they gave me the news stories, and that was the worst. I eventually moved up the ladder, started anchoring in Montgomery, moved up there. Didn't have to do any more news, but those six months in Dothan, or four months, whatever it was, uh, that was brutal. And that's where I feel like I picked up my foundation, though. It's important. Because I definitely didn't have it coming out of college, and my stuff was terrible in Alabama. Terrible. But I was learning one day at a time. And from there, it was just 
you know, keep on gaining experience, keep getting better, learning from failure. Eventually, when the time was right, I found an agent, uh, networked hard with the Reds, and that's kind of where I stand in terms of that. And then the, the CBS job with Sacramento, that's just from doing all these different local TV jobs, having a reel, knowing someone that actually worked there said, hey, we need some talent, send my boss over your tape, and bam, that was easy. But it wouldn't have been easy in 2015 with the tape I had, that's for sure. That's the luck I'm talking about, but you still got to position yourself to be lucky. You have to get good. But I've had a bunch of different jobs in a short amount of time, learned a little bit at every stop, and like I said, the fail. That's kind of the, the most crucial lesson for me. Fail early, fail often, learn from those failures. That's TV 101 in my opinion. But I mean this when I say this. Anyone can be on TV. Anyone. They, they literally post 400 jobs a year in cities I've never heard of in Texas. There are markets everywhere. Small, yes. And it's a very competitive field. Don't get me wrong. But if you have a tape and you aren't absolutely horrific, like if you don't pull a Medusa and turn your audience to stone, you're eventually going to get a job. I mean this. If you're listening and working like finance and you wanted to get into TV, I don't care if you've never spoken on camera before and never seen that light turn red. I can almost guarantee you This is like my Donald Trump University. I could coach you to a job within a year. Now, you may be in Columbus, Nebraska. You may be making 15K a year and have to plow the cornfields to make a few extra bucks. I don't know. But those are the markets where you get better and see if this industry is for you. How far you go depends on a few factors. Luck's big. It's it's huge, no doubt. Who you know, which sometimes can be a form of luck. But first and foremost, you have to get good on TV to land good opportunities. It's not rocket science. And I said get good. Like, no one is good before their first professional job. Very rarely is someone polished coming out of school. So I knew that by taking the Alabama job, I'd get better. I also knew that I'd be miserable at times and was sacrificing some glory years while my friends were in big cities. But... Everyone without a famous last name has to do it. Everyone has to do that climb. If it's not in local TV, then it's minor league baseball. Even Joe Buck had to call a year of Louisville Bats baseball before Pops let him on a Cardinals broadcast. If it's not minor league baseball, small town radio station, maybe a startup website, whatever it may be. You keep adding to your tape, portfolio if you're a writer. Uh, You network, maybe find an agent. And that's when three, five years into the industry, you could start being qualified for some really cool gigs. But that's also where it gets extremely competitive because, like I said, the jobs are being posted every day. They're in Altoona, Rochester, Dubuque. Uh, that regional network job in Denver, like, think about it. It may only open once a decade, if that. I mean, how often do you turn on the TV and see the same people calling sporting games that you've seen your entire life? So it's tough industry, no doubt. Pandemic didn't help. How about you, Kylan? Give me your story. In my high school, there was a student-run news station since Charlie delved into high school. I'll just mention I did it in high school, did it first period. Uh, I was late every day. My teacher got fired, so then I actually got sent to in-school suspension because I was tardy so much, and Charlie knows I'm a late person. But that has nothing to do with broadcasting. Um, So then I wanted to study broadcast journalism in college. I decided I think I could make a career of this. I like it. It's fun. I loved working with a camera. We got to do all that in high school. So 
went to college at Lewis University, a small Division II liberal arts school in Illinois. Played soccer there, played a little bit of tennis there, um, and then took part in like the radio station, the TV station, whatever else. And then, like Charlie was talking about, you just make a tape. And honestly, my tape was the worst thing that I've ever heard or seen now looking back. And we actually have a clip here to play for you from one of my first packages um, on the Lewis softball team. Lewis University softball team swept Kentucky Wesleyan College 7-2 and 7-0 in a doubleheader the exact same. The Flyers hit four home runs, including two by senior Stephanie Harmon, and had 26 hits in the sweep. <laughs> on the mound, senior Diana Pickram pitched a complete The best part of these the videos has nothing to do with the way you track it or your voice. It's how bad the actual story is with the video and everything. The jump cuts and... Yeah, there are a lot of jump cuts. Hold on, you got to hear the story. One of my first stories was on Aaron Carter. He came to OU. And my subject for the interview, because I needed two interviews in there, I got one of my buddies, Tony Gant. He obviously wasn't taking it seriously. You know, he was seven Rebel Vodkas deep. And I grabbed him. I'm like, hey, dude, he's my roommate. I'm like, hey, can you do this? And I asked him about Aaron Carter. And he's like, oh, yeah. You know, it's it's great having Aaron Carter out here. <laughs> I heard that he'd fallen on tough times and gotten into crystal meth. But, uh, you know, and this is like literally my package. I got like a C on it. <laughs> Don't understand how because it was horrible. Uh, I didn't white balance. So the entire film roll, the, the VO was blue. Honestly, though, being a college student and studying broadcast journalism is one of the most hilarious things ever because I have so many stories just like that. For a final of one of my classes, I think it was an editing class, we had to like make a full fake television show episode. And so for mine, I decided to do MTV Cribs, but I did Lewis Cribs, went to my friend's section. It was called a section. Basically, it was like a little apartment unit, you know, like six people live there. One night after they came home from the bar, really drunk, Wednesday nights were like bar nights. So, and this was right before Christmas because it was my final. And literally my friends drunkenly showed me around their apartment. They had a Christmas tree up. It was decorated with Bud Light cans. They had a Victoria's Secret angel cut out from a magazine taped on the top. They opened up their refrigerator. It was full of Skull vodka, Burnett's. Like it just had giant like handles of vodka in it and and some frozen pizzas in the fridge. I mean, it was horrifying. I actually edited it together. I put music on it. I put a lot of work into that. But I can't believe that I turned that into a professor. Like I turned that in for a final and I got an A. Yeah, it's funny because I look back and watch some of my work that I still have on there, and I I passed. I mean, I got C's on everything. But it's like, how bad were these professors? Or how stupid slash hungover all the time was I to the point where none of this stuff resonated? Like, I do it every day now. It's not rocket science whatsoever. And it's like, how could – you had four years to teach me this stuff like that that this is a jump cut and to put extra video at the end of your B-roll so it doesn't go to black and to frame this person a certain way and don't put them right in the middle staring at the camera. It's like easy things. And I just, I left college with no knowledge. Like I went down to Dothan (laughs) and they threw me into the wolves and I got reamed out every single day for 365 straight days because I, I feel like I didn't learn anything. 
Yeah, Charlie, I don't think you're about to be the poster child for OU Scripps School of Journalism, but I do think it is hard to teach in college, and I agree. I think that a lot of schools don't do a good enough job, big or small, of preparing journalism students for the real world because starting out in broadcasting is brutal. It is awful. And I just don't know many people who have like positive stories from their first market where they didn't go in and feel like they'd gotten thrown at the wolves. Like, I feel like that's 90% of kids coming out of college. Unless you went to Syracuse. Then I feel like all those people are really polished. Right. I mean, maybe. So they're doing something right at the School of the Orange. Unfortunately, I'm going to agree with you. But still, I just think like this industry, it's one of those things that you don't know how brutal it is until you get started in it. Because I felt the same way, and I felt very prepared. I did three internships before graduating. I like took notes. I went out with reporters at WGN and ABC7 in Chicago. Like I felt like I should have been prepared. I studied. I got good grades. I graduated with like a 3.8. So unlike Charlie, I paid attention to my classes. Like I felt like I should have been ready, and I wasn't ready at all. That's why I. That's it was wh- awful. That's one of my favorite things when you say that. You're like. I did all the right things. I never went out on a school night. That's I, not true. I didn't say I, I never went out on a school night. I made every single class. I studied I for my ACT prep. I had perfect grades, blah, blah, blah. I did all these internships, and you did none of that, and we're still in the same spot right now. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's life. So here's how I landed my first job. Just like you, I made a tape in college. It was god-awful. Um, I remember there was one little stand-up that I had in there where I was like in the library and like standing in like the shelves of books and I don't even know I think I made up the story I don't even think there was a real story and I did a cutaway where like I was talking and I grab a book off the shelf and then I put the camera in the bookshelf so it was like looking through the books up at me and I thought that was so cool I made it like my first clip on my reel because I had a cutaway and the second shot was so creative you were looking at me through the crack of like books it was ridiculous I was like whispering too because I was actually in the library like during finals and people were legitimately studying so I'm like whispering to the camera it was terrible Um, but so anyways a mentor of mine Steve Delinsky at ABC7 Chicago, who I had interned with, my first internship, had given me a piece of advice, and it was that I should try to drive to all the small markets around Chicago, anywhere in driving distance. He actually said that he had driven all the way around Lake Michigan and stopped at like any small markets and dropped off his tape and resume instead of like traditionally, you know. What is this, the 1980s Hermes? Like (laughs) literally there's a job board and there's, see that, I, I hate to cut you off here, but this is where I get confused with young broadcasters nowadays because everyone like panics like how am I going to find a job how am I going to find a job they're desperate to fill these jobs I mean they're they jobs in Altoona open up every single day I I see them open up every single day because I'm looking through these job boards and I'm like oh what do you know another job in Bryan Texas that's like the 19th I've seen this year like people stay there for a year and they're gone like they're always looking to churn in you know, and in obviously small, it's small, small, small markets, but, but in that's general, where everyone's starting. In general, it's a competitive, it's a competitive field. There's lots of kids that There's, I know. It's definitely competitive. There's tons of kids trying to get these jobs. I'm just saying that if you try for long enough, you'll eventually get one because 
Right. For long enough. The point is I didn't want to try. I didn't want to be out of a job. I'd heard these stories about people who were applying for months or applying all over the country. I'd heard and talked to people and knew people who it took them a long time to get a job. So Steve's advice to me, and don't say, oh, is this the 1800s? There is a reason for it, is to drive to these stations and drop off your stuff. Because in a day where there's job boards everywhere and online postings, how many emails do you think news directors get in a day about some of these jobs? Especially around like May when kids are graduating. Tons of emails, tons of online resumes being sent in. How many people walk in through the door? And say, I'd like to speak to the news director. I have my tape. I have my resume with me. I want you to look me in the face and hear me speak in person. So seriously, so how many people do you think walk through the door? Probably not many. Yeah, so the point, Steve's point, was that it sets you apart, automatically sets you apart, and it puts you in front of the news director, potentially for an interview, that you wouldn't have necessarily been noticed or you wouldn't have necessarily gotten, you wouldn't necessarily have been noticed amongst a sea of online applicants, right? It shows initiative and you get free FaceTime with potentially news directors. And the thing is that won't work in bigger markets. I'm just going to tell you right now, but in small markets, I mean, someone in Altoona, Pennsylvania, what better does the news director have to do if you go during a non-show time? Obviously, don't show up at like five o'clock, right when their five o'clock news is going on. But you know, like noon, whatever, 11 a.m. I think I went like late morning, maybe after, you know, they have morning news meetings. I went like 10, 11 a.m. You know, during not a busy time, middle of the day, how much they really got going on. So why would they not meet with a potential candidate if they're trying to hire someone? They've already got someone at their front door. So I took Steve's advice. I didn't want to start out in Dothan. Uh, there's a couple markets within driving distance of the city Dothan of Chicago. Dothan was actually an awesome sports market, just so you know. Some okay. of the best high school football in the country, Alabama, Auburn, and Troy, three Division One teams within But a horrible place to live. I mean, What are you talking about? That's the peanut is. capital of the world. We had stray dogs running all over the place at our Walmart. It was, uh, okay, it was well. great. It was, it was the number one, not fast food, number one chain restaurant per capita in the United States. Did you know that? No, I didn't. But as magical as that sounds... It was amazing. We had literally five Sonics and two Chewies. Cheddars. I did not want to start out in Dothan. I wasn't trying to sign up for eating fast food every two weeks on my $18,000 a year salary the first two years out of college. Chain food. So I drove my first stop was going to be the quad cities two and a half hours west of chicago two of the stations there had openings one didn't my dad had gone to college in the quad cities we'd been there before it was a decent drive he agreed to drive with me so loaded up the car one day a couple weeks before my graduation uh had a bunch of resumes i'd printed out like charlie i'd printed out probably like 200 dvds and Bought labels for them. How do them. you print out DVDs? Well, so I burned DVDs okay. and then got labels printed out and ta- like, you know, like labels that had like my name, whatever, and like put them on the CD. 200? You go to every single market in the country? No, but so I was prepared in case. Okay. I mean, maybe I not respect 200. It. I mean, you went uh, to a lot more effort than I did, but I guess that's why you ended not, up in maybe not, Rock Island. Sounds like a not, great place. Maybe not 200, but 100. Okay, Rock Island was market 98 at the time. I think it's like 101 now, but still, top 100 market coming uh, out of college isn't bad. Definitely no. not bad. And within two hours, and the big thing for me is driving distance of Chicago. It's a good location. I was pumped to it's be in not, 180. 
It's not Dothan. It's like there's 20 lower than me. Okay, well, yeah. So, anyways, I... My dad and I loaded up the car. I had probably, it was probably closer to a hundred DVDs that we had burned and like taped these printed labels on with like my name and picture on it. It was obnoxious. Had all these resumes printed out, you know, had the file folder, a legal notepad, all this stuff. Go to the first station, CBS4, WHBF in the Quad Cities. They had a job opening. Um, 10, 11 in the morning, just decide to go in, walk in the front door. Hi, I'm just, I'd like to apply for the reporter position you guys have open here. I was wondering if the news director is available. I want to drop off my stuff. I'd love to say hi. So she's like, yeah, yeah, let me go check. Uh, news director comes back out, basically is like, oh yeah, like we're hiring or, or whatever. Why don't you come on back in my office? I'm like, okay, sure. So go back into her office. One thing leads to another. I do a full interview it just so happens that at the time the ownership group of that station it's now owned by next art wasn't at the time their like regional news director was in town visiting he wants to interview me too he's like in a special office upstairs so i sit down in this lady's office she puts my dvd she like rips it to shreds she's like this is awful but like you look like you have potential we could work with you you clearly are here you have a good personality you have a lot of initiative whatever um all right, well, you know, she starts asking me all these questions about why I want to be a reporter, like basically my life story. They had me go do a writing test. Why did you want to be a reporter? Why did I want to be a reporter? Did you say to change lives, to tell yeah, the truth? Yeah, to change lives, to make a difference, to tell stories. So then she's like, well, it just so happens Big Al's here from uh, whatever corporate, and he's upstairs and would love to talk to you too. I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? So I'm doing this writing test. They walk me around and have me interview all these different people in the newsroom. I'm talking to the assignment editor. Uh, finally, my dad is like calling the station. My dad thought I died. It would have been like three hours. I was in there for over three hours. My dad's like, did these people murder my daughter? Like, there's no way she's still in there. And I wasn't answering my phone because I had it in a purse. I'm trying to be professional. I'm doing these writing tests, talking to all these people. Uh, eventually, the lady in the station, like from the front of the station, the secretary comes in. She's like, oh, your dad called. I'm like, yeah, can you just tell him I'm here and I'm alive? She's like, yeah, sure. Uh, so I do this long, drawn out interview process. Basically, I'm there for three and a half hours. They kind of offered me the job on the spot, called the next day, offered me an official contract, whatever. I took it. I literally had 89 DVDs. Uh, But every week, we're going to finish off the pod by talking a little bit about just something about our career, some more entertaining stories. We both are full of them from our seven, eight years in the industry. You can send us questions, I have whatever. Some very interesting stories. Oh, we have so least. many good stories. So you're going to have to listen to the end every week because we will be including a story, a tidbit of something. Today it was just kind of how we got our first jobs, but there's a lot more to come. So definitely tune in. Subscribe, give it five stars. Um, we will also have some guests on the show. We'll be switching up the format. Some days we'll be talking about the broadcast industry. Other days I'll be giving out choice cuts. I mean, we got all sorts of stuff coming. So anyways, thanks for listening to the show. Have yourself a great day, a great night, and good luck. Go Cubs.